This is Patrick Ridgel, and thank you for joining us for another discussion with Transamerica Asset Management Chief Investment Officer, Tom Wald. Tom, welcome back. Thank you, Patrick. It's nice to be back. Good. So you just completed the Transamerica 2020 Media Market Outlook, which is pretty much an all-inclusive look of where the economy and the markets stand right now and where, and where you see them headed for now. That's right. And... You cover a lot in this outlook. It's a great read. And before we get into the specifics on some of the many areas you're covering here, uh, let me step back and ask you real quick. So far, it's been a year like no other in terms of volatility and emotion. How should investors be feeling right now? Well, yeah, first off, I think they should feel very proud. I mean, proud that they weathered the biggest economic shock and worst quarter of economic contraction in about 90 years. And we're able to do so even amidst the, the far greater medical and societal problems created by COVID-19. I mean, there was no playbook for all of this. And of course, our hearts go out to everyone impacted by the virus these past several months. Uh, and also, of course, uh, with great appreciation for everyone working on the front lines. Uh, and from a purely market perspective, I think for, I think for the most part, Logic and rationality prevailed, and the markets received a tremendous catalyst in the form of record-setting monetary stimulus from the Federal Reserve, which has been invaluable, in my opinion, to the market's recovery since March, and, and that will likely continue to be a catalyst uh, moving forward. And, and finally, I'll, I'll use the O word. I think investors should feel, dare I say, you know, somewhat optimistic about the mm -hmm. market environment looking forward. Although, as we'll talk about in a few minutes, you know that optimist that optimism uh, should probably come with uh, some very distinctive caveats. So, as we stand here today, what would you say is the number one thing the markets are watching right now? Yeah, I think that would that would have to be the pending recovery in the U.S. economy. And here, our lead would be that we believe we have seen the worst of the COVID nineteen induced economic shock in this recently concluded second quarter. Uh, which you know has since been dubbed the Great Lockdown, uh, in which GDP contraction will probably shake out somewhere around negative 35 to negative 40 percent. You know, from here we see sequential quarter over quarter positive growth in the third and fourth quarters of perhaps uh, in the area of 10 to 15 percent. Which, when you throw all of these numbers in together, along with the first quarter contraction of negative 5% when we were first uh, shutting everything down, we will probably finish out the year at perhaps around you know, negative 6 to negative 7%. Then we think we're probably looking at above pre-virus trend growth of maybe 4 to 5, positive 4 to 5% in 2021. So that's a lot of GDP volatility. How do you balance it all out? Uh, yes, yeah, so that that's an important point, and, and GDP math can get a little funny sometimes. So if we break back into positive growth in the third and fourth quarters, which we believe is a high probability, okay. again, we're looking for double-digit annualized growth in both these quarters. That then ends the recession, technically speaking, you know, okay. under the standard definition of two consecutive quarters of economic contraction. So that, of course, you know, would be good. But mm -hmm. in terms of when we fully recover from the downturn, when we return to the aggregate pre-COVID-19 GDP levels of 2019, uh, you know, by our judgment, that might not be until, you know, late 2022 or early 2023. This would probably then be classified as a quote-unquote U-shaped recovery. 
Not a, not a V-shape? Uh, no, probably not. There's been a lot of uh, talk about a V-shape recovery uh, with some of the strong economic data that has come in from May and June. But mm-hmm. but all considered, we think the collective downturn we just experienced you know, was simply too deep to fully recover from in, in just one year's time, which is kind okay. of the standard definition of a V recovery. And, and let me just throw out one more concept here. Uh, which at the risk of breaking from traditional letter shape uh, recovery designations, perhaps a check shape uh, recovery might be going on here. Uh, and by that, I mean kind of a V-shape and U-shape combo, if you will, okay. where the economy has an immediate rebound like a V, but then uh, still adheres to the overall timetable of a U-shaped recovery in terms of once again reaching the pre-contraction aggregate GDP levels. This actually would be consistent with sharp GDP growth of double digits in the second half of 2020, however, not reaching that aggregate pre-COVID-19 GDP level until late 2022 or early 2023. Should investors be encouraged by the prospects of a U-shaped or or as you now might call it a check-shaped recovery? Uh, in this case, you know, I would say yes. Uh, and the reason is that we have these historically unprecedented levels of economic stimulus, both uh, fiscal and monetary stimulus, uh, that will be at work during the recovery. So, so think about it. We get a sharp rebound uh, taking us out of the recession in this upcoming third and fourth quarters. Uh, we're then on pace to get back to pre-virus aggregate GDP levels in in about two and a half years or so. And during that time, we have record low interest rates and economic stimulus at our backs. I'd say that could be a a quite favorable environment for the markets. And the risks of that scenario? Uh, Back to the virus itself. Uh, Unfortunately, in this past month, we've been seeing a renewed spike in daily cases uh, coming mostly from a handful of states, Florida, Texas, California, and Arizona, and a few others. And this has taken the national daily infection rates back up to new highs. Now, I know that sounds discouraging, but there are some distinctions to make about this trend versus mid-April when we were at the previous infection rate highs. Uh, Specifically, Mm -hmm. and thankfully, uh, we are yet to see a corresponding increase in fatality rates, uh, which keep trending lower, and we continue to see recovery rates trend higher. So these mm-hmm. next couple of months are going to be crucial. Either we see fatality rates increase, and of course, we all hope that won't be the case, right, yeah. or, or we might be seeing our first hard evidence that we are now better treating those infected and better protecting those most vulnerable. And of course, let's hope you know that's what's going on. And from an economic standpoint, I think it's also important to say that even with this recent spike in cases, and even if the spike increases, I I don't think we'll see another great lockdown scenario like we did last March. I think everyone agrees that will just be too devastating uh, for everyone financially and emotionally. So I think the the recovery is, is clearly underway as we begin the second half of the year. Okay. So with this potential rebound in the economy and the economic stimulus, Tell us your overall read on stocks, particularly you know, given the strong comeback we've seen in the market since the end of March. Yeah, so there's a lot going on in the equity markets, but let, let me begin with with our with our big picture uh, bull case for U.S. stocks. Okay, hit it. So the worst of the COVID nineteen induced economic shock is behind us, and the recovery is now taking shape. In this recovery, 
Uh, U.S. GDP will eventually reach aggregate pre-virus levels by perhaps late 2022, and corporate earnings could reach pre-virus levels by the end of uh, 2021. During this time, the Fed will very likely keep short-term rates at zero and continue to apply trillions of dollars in monetary stimulus through large-scale open market purchases. Lower interest rates help equity valuations and the Fed's open market purchases enhance market liquidity. And so this now all starts to look very similar to what happened after the financial crisis and Great Recession when the economy bottomed in the fourth quarter of 2008, uh, turned positive in the second quarter of 2009, but didn't fully recover until the second quarter of 2011. During that time, the Fed kept rates close to zero and remained active in open market purchases, uh, as we believe uh, they likely will again. Uh, As you might recall, the markets did pretty well, actually a lot better than pretty well during that time frame. So it feels like history could be rhyming here. And remember, long-term interest rates are much lower and the anticipated amounts of Fed large-scale purchases are expected to be higher than they were back in 2009. So all told, we think there's now a meaningfully stronger case to own stocks over the next couple of years than not to own them. Okay. And the risks for stocks over the next year? Uh, Yes. uh, uh, You know, definitely a few worth mentioning. Uh, Again, the spiking virus cases. If fatality rates spike also, which of course we have not seen yet, you know, that would not be good. Also, we haven't talked about the election yet. And of course, like everything else, the political landscape has changed immensely in these past few months. And if the Democrats Mm -hmm. sweep in November, Joe Biden wins and they take the Senate and keep control of the House, we could see an adverse reaction by the market due to expectations of Democrat policies seeking to increase corporate tax rates and apply stricter government regulations. You know, that, of course, is a market commentary, not a political opinion. And then there is uh, there is the U.S.-China trade relations. Uh, Remember Mm. that? You know, once upon a time, that was considered the biggest risk to the market. And and if tariff battles get escalated again, you know, that won't be well received either. But even when taking these risks into account, we feel the combination of a recovering economy, recovering earnings growth, historically low interest rates, and historically huge monetary uh, stimulus ultimately positions U.S. stocks uh, pretty well for the year ahead. You know, we have a one-year target. We have a one-year price target on the S&P 500 of uh, 3,600. Okay. Let's turn to the interest rate environment now. Um, The Fed has done quite a bit since the start of the year. Uh, Yes. And and probably the best way to summarize where we are right now is that when looking back a few years to that uh, 2015-2016 timeframe, the last uh, time we were uh, close to zero rates, people would use the abbreviation LFL, which stood for lower for longer to describe the overall interest rate environment. I think today we might uh, want to adjust that to L-F-R-O-L, as in lower for the rest of our lives. Uh, sounds a bit dramatic. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, but, but the point here is that I think we are unlikely to see the Fed hike uh, the Fed funds rate 
above the current uh, zero to uh, 0.25 percent range okay. at any time in the foreseeable future. If the economy is going to fully recover back to pre-COVID-19 levels by the end of 2022 or early 2023, it's going to to definitely need uh, zero short-term rates at its sales. Um, okay. and, and nobody knows that more than the Fed. Yeah. Any chance the Fed could could move to negative rates like like in Europe or Japan? You know, I, I really don't think so. Uh, Chairman Powell and other committee members have expressed on a few occasions that negative rates uh, would not make sense and they could use other monetary measures if necessary. Plus, okay. it, it would likely not only really hurt older savers and senior citizens, uh, but also likely decimate the banking system. And, and there's just no real evidence negative rates have worked uh, in other regions of the world. Okay. What's your take on longer term rates? Yeah, I, I think the uh, 10-year Treasury yield will likely be range-bound at around maybe uh, you know 0.60% to 1.25%. Uh, this would mm-hmm. be a modest steepening of the yield curve as short-term rates, uh, you know, will likely stay close to zero. Uh, still within, uh, but these longer-term rates will still uh, stay within historically low parameters, which should remain favorable for the economy and asset valuations. Let's let's turn now to the credit side of the bond markets. Um, we saw credit spreads really take a hit back in March, uh, only to recover strong when the Fed stimulus ramped up. How are you seeing the corporate bond markets in light of this? So the big story here is the ongoing Fed stimulus efforts and the favorable impact those are likely to continue having within within the corporate bond markets. You know, okay. through through not only their own balance sheet activities, but through programs essentially funded to them by the Treasury Department and through the CARES Act, uh, the Fed could wind up providing trillions of dollars of support. To the underlying bond markets, both in terms of liquidity in the secondary markets and uh, actual credit backstopping in the primary markets. I mean, this okay. is really storm the beaches uh, type stuff following the blowout in credit spreads we saw in March. So when yeah. you combine this massive liquidity and credit support effort by the Fed, you know, with a pending economic recovery, which should help credit fundamentals, you know, we think we could see a strong year ahead for both high yield and investment grade bonds. Okay. And moving on to the international markets. Um, looks like calendar year 2020 is going to be tough economically for both developed and emerging markets. Yes, we're going to see historically dismal growth numbers across pretty much all regions, similar to here in the U.S. But looking ahead into 2021, uh, we see a few reasons to own international stocks. Those being? Uh, Well, let's start with virus trends, uh, which are showing strong improvement in regions such as Japan and Europe. In in Japan, Mm -hmm. recoveries are now close to 90% of total cases. Uh, They are above those levels in parts of Europe, such as in Switzerland and Germany. And even Mm -hmm. in Italy, even in Italy, where they had such a terrible initial experience with COVID-19 back in February, that country is now at about 80% total recoveries. Also, like the U.S., the uh, European Central Bank and the Bank of Japan are putting forth large fiscal and monetary stimulus programs close to about $3 trillion each, which is big amounts uh, in those regions. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and there is a realistic probability, in our opinion, 
global growth flips next year from about you know five percent negative to maybe about five percent positive. So investors, yeah. you know, might need some patience here as global growth bottoms out in the next few months. But when taking these uh, potential catalysts into account, we think both international and uh, emerging equities are, are probably better positioned uh, than most are giving them credit for. Okay, and then of course we have elections coming in November. Uh, yes, and like everything else under the sun, uh, both the presidential and the congressional elections have uh, been turned upside down by COVID nineteen, uh, among some other things. So, yeah. uh, so Joe Joe Biden has pulled uh, considerably ahead of uh, President Trump in a series of recent polls. Clearly, the mounting virus numbers, the economic downturn, and nationwide protests have not played uh, to the president's favor. Uh, right. Biden yeah. now. Biden now leads by close to 10 points nationally in an average of nine polls taken since June 17th and uh, compiled by the website Real Clear Politics. Biden okay. also leads across all battleground states, uh, most of which were won by President Trump in 2016. The risk here to the markets, uh, all else being equal, uh, would be that Democrats would then likely pursue policy changes that would include higher corporate tax rates and stricter government regulation. You know, again, this is a market commentary, not a political opinion. Uh, right. That said, there is a long way to go until November. Voter preferences could change. Mm -hmm. And of course, no uh, new administration really ever experiences the smooth ride they expect, even when Congress is on their side of the aisle. So stay tuned for plenty of drama to play out between now and November. Tom, in, in the past, we've talked about wild cards potentially impacting the markets. Are there any wild cards jumping out to you right now? Uh, yes. And the predominant one would be the development of a vaccine for COVID-19. Okay. Uh, with the biotechnology industry and the world of science racing to find a vaccine, and with the FDA uh, standing ready to fast track worthy candidates, if an effective vaccine is developed, you know, this could be a game changer. Yeah. And at the current time, there are there are a handful of biotech and pharmaceutical candidates running clinical trials. However, we would caution investors not to put too much faith in, in a quick outcome here. Yeah. History has proven that, you know, curative vaccines or treatments for potentially life-threatening viruses are very tough to come by. Okay, Tom, we're just about out of time. Any final parting words? Uh, yeah, sure. Just, just to summarize, uh, we believe the economy is making a turn and the, the equity and credit markets uh, could have some wind at their backs, not only in terms of a better economic environment, but also uh, continued monetary stimulus. Uh, but COVID-19 induced market volatility is unlikely to go away anytime soon. And as we have said a few times uh, recently, and, and it bears repeating, you know, this is not a market for faint hearts or short time horizons. Thank you, Tom, for this thorough review of the Transamerica 2020 Mid-Year Market Outlook. We'll talk again soon. We'll look forward to it. Thank you, Patrick. To download a copy of the Transamerica 2020 Mid-Year Market Outlook, please visit transamerica.com forward slash market dash outlook. Assets under management as of March 24th, 2020. Investments are subject to market risk, including the loss of principal. Asset classes or investment strategies described may not be suitable for all investors. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Fixed income investing is subject to credit rate risk, interest rate risk, and inflation risk. Credit risk is the risk that the issuer of a bond won't meet their payments. Inflation risk is the risk that inflation could outpace a bond's interest income. Interest rate risk is the risk that fluctuations in interest rates will affect the price of a bond. 
Investing in floating rate loans may be subject to greater volatility and increased risks. Equities are subject to market risk, meaning that stock prices in general may decline over short or extended periods of time. Investments in global international markets involve risks not associated with U.S. markets, such as currency fluctuations, adverse social and political developments, and the relatively small size and lesser liquidity of some markets. These risks may be greater in emerging markets. Alternative investment strategies may include long, short, and market-neutral strategies. Bear market strategies, tactical strategies such as debt and or equity, foreign currency trading strategies, global real estate securities, commodities, and other non-traditional investments. The information included in this podcast should not be construed as investment advice or a recommendation for the purchase or sale of any security. This material contains general information only on investment matters. It should not be considered as a comprehensive statement on any matter and should not be relied upon as such. The information does not take into account any investor's investment objectives, particular needs, or financial situation. The value of any investment may fluctuate. This information has been developed by Transamerica Asset Management Incorporated and may incorporate third-party data, text, images, and other content to be deemed reliable. Comments and general market-related projections are based on information available at the time of writing and believed to be accurate, are for informational purposes only, are not intended as individual or specific advice, may not represent the opinions of the entire firm, and may not be relied upon for future investing. Investors are advised to consult with their investment professional about their specific financial needs and goals before making any investment decisions. Transamerica Asset Management, TAM, is the asset management business unit of Transamerica. TAM consists of Transamerica Funds, Transamerica Series Trust, and Transamerica Asset Management Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor. 251037.